Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts podcast, where we keep Watts on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of March 13th to March 15th, 2020. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. So I hope everyone out there is staying safe with all the panic about COVID-19 going on. I know you're probably sick and tired of hearing about it at this point, but frankly, when it comes to the box office, coronavirus really has had a major impact. Um, I'm actually re-recording this introduction just to make sure we have all of the most recent news that's come out in the past 24 hours about movie theater closers. Uh, So first, last week, we had mentioned that the Bond movie No Time to Die was being delayed until November of this year. Um, And since then, there have been more movies that have been officially delayed. Uh, at this rate, there really won't be much to talk about box office release-wise for the next couple of months. Uh, quickly to go over everything, um, for domestic, we have first My Spy, originally March this past weekend, March 13th, got delayed to April 17th. Acquired Place 2, originally for this coming weekend, March 20th, has been delayed without a replacement date. Mulan, originally for March 27th, has been delayed without a replacement date. Uh, no Time to Die, as noted, was originally April 3rd. Uh, it has been delayed to November 25th without a replacement date. Peter Rabbit 2, originally also for April 3rd in order to coincide with Easter, has been delayed to August 7th. New Mutants, originally April 3rd, which has been delayed actually since April 2018 um, multiple times, uh, has been delayed without a replacement date again. Lovebirds, originally an April 3rd release, has been delayed without a replacement date. Antlers, originally an April 17th date, has been delayed without a replacement date. And Fast 9, has been, which was originally May 22nd, has been pushed back to April 2nd, 2021. So what do we have left? Uh, well, officially, there is March 20th, no releases. March 27th, no releases. April 3rd, no releases. April 10th, Trolls World Tour. However, they just announced they will be having uh, online rentals available the same day as Trolls World Tour on April 10th. Uh, My Spy, as noted, is on April 17th. April 24th has Antebellum, a horror film, and Bad Trimp, Eric Andre's prank film. May 1st, for now, has Black Widow. However, given uh, some announcements we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, that's likely going to move. I predict it's probably going to move to November, take the place of the Eternals, since all of the rest of the Phase 4 movies from Marvel have been delayed uh, in production due to the coronavirus. Uh, So I would expect all of Phase 4 release dates to be pushed back. So, you know, Eternals taking an early date in 2021 makes sense. Um, May 8th, a couple of mostly small limited release films. May 15th, uh, we have the animated film Scoob, the horror film Saw. Uh, May 22nd, we have Spongebob, the animated film. May 29th, we have Artemis Fowl. And June 5th, uh, we have uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which so far um, the studio still has said is on track to release on that date. I really picked a great time to do a box office podcast, didn't I? Um, and you know, the news I wanted to make sure we captured for this week's episode is that uh, many theaters are actually announcing closures. Um, so when I had originally written up the notes for this show, um, AMC theaters had announced that they're going to only be booking at half capacity, meaning if a theater had a hundred, you know, seats in it, they would only book 50 for that, for that seat. Um, however, since then, uh, let's see, 
um, Regal Cinemas has announced that they're going to be closing theaters until further notice. Um, let's see, Cineplex in Canada, uh, which is considered domestic market, has announced going to be closed until April second. Um, AMC has capped their limit not only fifty percent, but actually to just a absolute number of at most 50 theaters and i'm assuming still with the 50 percent for smaller auditoriums landmark theaters is going to temporarily close their theaters over coronavirus um, and beyond that specific cities uh, including new york here as well as new jersey and connecticut um, los angeles michigan i believe oregon as well um ontario quebec in canada um all of those uh provinces states and cities have all announced that they're going to be closing theaters um for the time being um so yeah this is huge for the box office not only do we not have a lot of films coming out frankly just the number of theaters out there given the performance of this weekend it doesn't make sense for theaters to keep paying their staff and have them uh stay open um which kind of brings us to, you know, this week's box office concepts. I know the next couple of weeks we're not going to be able to have, you know, a lot of box office analysis. So I figured it would be a good time to go over some more of the basic concepts of box office analysis. Um, and with this week, you know, there are a lot of number of things we could have looked at. Um, Frozen 2, you know, getting pushed up uh, the streaming this past Sunday, as well as the news of Trolls World Tour, um, you know, going on VOD rental, as well as, I believe, The Invisible Man and Hunt. Um from Universal also going to, to online rental uh, soon. Um, those are, you know, probably worthy of talking about. Um, but I think, you know, what I really want to talk about is some, a number I've been kind of alluding to for the past couple of episodes. And it's kind of like a fundamental of mine for box office analysis. Um, this week's box office concept is going to be the per theater average. So per theater average is pretty much what it says on the tin. The total revenue of a film makes in a given week divided by the number of theaters it plays in that week. So if you have a $40 million film in one week and it plays in 4,000 theaters, the per theater average is $10,000. Now, whether that's good or bad really depends on the context of the budget of the film as well as what else is playing around it. Generally, films have a requirement to sew in theaters for at least two weeks. After that point, movie theater chains have the option to decide whether to keep it in theaters or to pull it from sewing further. A relatively high per theater average or a per theater average that drops slowly is an indicator of a film that has a lot of people who want to keep on seeing it. Whereas if a film has a lower per theater average or it drops really quickly from week to week, that's a sign it has less popularity. As an example, let's look at two films that came out the same weekend this year, Bad Boys for Life and Doolittle on January 17th. Bad Boys for Life opened in 3,775 theaters to 62 million for a per theater average of $16.5,000. Doolittle, on the other hand, opened in more theaters, 4,155 theaters to be exact, but opened to a lower $21 million, and thus their per theater average is lower at $5,200,000. Clearly, Bad Boys for Life had more appeal in this first week. Looking at the second week, when they had to keep the number of theaters the same, but there was still a week-to-week drop, both fell about 45% or so. So Bad Boys for Life was down to 9000 per theater average, and Doolittle was at about $2.9,000. Now, if I have a movie house that has 10 screens and new movies come out, I'm going to want to keep playing movies that have a high per theater average and replace movies with a low per theater average with newer movies. So if you start seeing larger drops... Um, 
in the per theater average, you'll likely see soon larger drops in the number of total theaters it's in. Usually this occurs, in my experience, about the $1,500 to $2,000 range as the average territory. Some call this the Mendoza line, basically the point at which um, you know the, the proprietor of the movie house uh, is either not making as much money as it as it's worth to keep in theaters when they could be playing something else. If you think about it in real terms, that means that if, you know, an average theater has, say, a $10 average ticket price to make the math easy, that $1,500 to $2,000 per theater average is about 150 to 200 people who are coming to see that movie over three days. That's really about a little bit more than 50, somewhere in the range of 50-ish, 60-ish per day, which when you think about how many of those theaters have multiple screens, they can see dozens of people and they're showing the film multiple times a day, that's really an opportunity to cost the theaters to be running movies to relatively empty auditoriums. So going back to our example, Doolittle crosses into this territory of the 1500 to 2000 around week four or five. It drops 400 theaters in week three after that first two-week period, 600 in weekends five and six, and then about 800 per weekend in theater weeks eight, seven and eight. And currently, in this past week, which is week nine, it only has 256 theaters. Meanwhile, Bad Boys for Life has had a very strong per theater average and only dipped into the 1500 to 2000 range really about week six or seven, which is you know a couple weeks after Doolittle. Uh, at three, four, or five. So its third week, it only lost 70 theaters compared to Doolittle's 400. Again, thanks to the strong per theater average. It only had losses of 200 to 300 theaters um, until week eight, as opposed to the 600 or 800 that Doolittle had. Um, uh, and then as in week eight, it lost 550. And then as of week nine, Bad Boys for Life is down to only 1451 theaters, which is about half of the total, a little less than half of the total number of theaters it ended up in, as opposed to Doolittle, which is a fraction of that. Now, one other example that highlights this point. So the movie Rhythm Section came out this year in about 3,000 theaters on January 31st to $2.7 million. If you do the math, that's only $891 per theater lab average, less than $1,000 per theater. So, you know, I mean, per, about say $10 average ticket, only 89 people per theater went to go see Rhythm uh, rhythm Section, which I don't know how many screenings there were for it that week. Week two didn't do much better since they had the same number of theaters, but there was a 62% drop, bringing it down to only $333 per theater average. So about maybe 30-ish people went to go see this film. So then by week three, Valentine's week, Valentine's Day, it went from having 3,049 theaters down to only 94, the largest one-week drop in theater history, I believe, for a wide release. And by week four, well, there wasn't a week four. It was out of theaters after week three. In comparison, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood opened up in July of 2019 last year in 3,659 theaters to 41 million, so an 11,000 per theater average. Of course, it did manage to have the benefit of multiple Oscar nominations, but it managed to hang out in a handful of theaters, probably art house theaters, throughout the fall and the winter until it closed the same weekend as Rhythm Section. And this lasted for 30 weeks, or 10 times as long as Rhythm Section. So again, a stronger per theater average really can help a film have some more longevity. Of course, movie theaters can manipulate this per theater average in a number of ways that's not always immediately apparent in the data. For example, Avengers Endgame 
is famous for having the highest domestic opening weekend of all time. It also has the highest per theater average record for a wide release film. It opened in uh, 4,662 theaters to $357 million in one weekend for 76,000 76, per theater average. So at an average ticket price of about $10, again, for easy math, that's about 7.6 thousand people per theater for the weekend. So what's likely happening is that the multiplexes, which have multiple screens and auditoriums, those owners are maxing out how many screens are running Avengers Endgame. If they had another film that they had to, had to sew, maybe they'd sew it like on one screen like once, but everything else had, was probably Avengers Endgame. In addition, there were reports that additional screenings around the clock for 24 hours were being sewn in order to accommodate demand. There is no real rule about, you know, oh, if it's, oh, can, a film can only sew five times per theater over on a given 24-hour period. As long as a movie theater can cram as screenings as time permits, they I think if they think it's valuable, they'll do so here. So, you know, in Avengers Endgame case, you know, Let's say, uh, assuming an average of five screens per theater, uh, which is the national average, and if it's each screen can seat, say, let's call it 100 people, then that's 15 sewings per screen over three days, uh, or about five screenings per day. Again, this doesn't count the Thursday screenings, but you know we'll just wrap that in there. So given the three-hour runtime, uh, plus another f hour for cleaning up and advertising and trailers, that's you know four hours per uh, screening. Um, that would be about mm, let's see twenty hours of screenings per per twenty hours of screening total. Uh, four is three plus one um, times five screenings. That's you know twenty four hours. So literally they were running uh, Avengers Endgame around the clock and maxing out as much as they physically could. And again, of course, the flip side is possible. A film doing relatively poorly, but which the owner doesn't want to quite get rid of yet, um, can be sold a limited number of times, maybe only once or twice a day. Uh, perhaps there's a fan base out there, but you know you'd rather have one screening of fifty people instead of five screenings with ten people each in say your seventy five seat auditorium. Um, that way you're minimizing the amount of empty seats you're selling to, and you get more popcorn for there, and you can open up the time in that auditorium to show the other movies that are making more per theater. Um, now there's one other facet when it comes to per theater averages. Uh, limited releases treat per theater averages a little bit differently. Generally, for more art house type films, uh, these movies will release on a smaller number of screens in New York or Los Angeles, and then depending on how it performs, the distributor will decide to expand it out to other cities either really quickly or maybe you know slowly rolling out and building the buzz as it hits from major metropolitan city to major metropolitan city. Uh, for example, last year, Parasite opened in only three theaters to $393,000. You know, for that particular weekend, which opened against Joker, uh, it was only good for 14th place that weekend. However, Joker only had a per theater average of $12,000. Meanwhile, Parasite had a per theater average of $131,000, which is the highest of the year. Similar films from last year include Uncut Gems, opened in five theaters to $537,000 or $107,000 per theater average, and The Farewell, which opened in only four theaters to $351,000 or $87,000 per theater average. It's hard to say definitively what a good per theater average is for a limited film. Late Night from last year, for example, had a per theater average of 61000 61, opening in four theaters, but all told, after they went wide the following week, they only made $15 million domestic. 
Meanwhile, 1917 had a per theater average of 52,000, which is less than what uh, Late Night was on Christmas Day, but it ended up making $159 million domestic to date. Of course, it did have the benefit of multiple Oscar nominations. Um, but again, uh, per theater average unlimited releases uh, you know, don't always tell the story, um, but they are at the very least know when it's not going to be an example. Um, another infamous example, actually, is the 2015 film Steve Jobs had a per theater average of $130,000 in four theaters, so similar to Parasite, um, but ultimately only net $17 million domestically. So, you know, I'll keep my eye probably on a film that makes $40,000 per theater average. That's not a guarantee it's going to break out and become widely successful. Um, maybe if the budget is small, it'll maybe make its money back. Um, but, you know, if the film is trying to go for widespread popularity to hopefully maybe win some major awards, um, you know, having a high per theater average will definitely help keep it in the news. And if it's below $40,000, you know, it's opening $10,000 range, um, you can probably write that off as not having, you know, much long-term popularity um, for for the awards consideration. So again, per theater the average is largely contextual. Uh, if a film doesn't have any competition coming out, you know, in the form of new releases, as is like we're likely to see with coronavirus, um, there will be a relatively low per theater average. Um, it may have that, but it will still stay in theaters um, just because there's nothing better coming out. In extreme cases, like with this coronavirus situation, when you have films with low per theater averages currently in theaters and no new films on the horizon to bring a higher per theater average with their opening weekends to replace them due to the lack of demand perhaps from you know government mandates, in many cases, it may make more sense for the theater to shut down temporarily uh, instead of op operating at a loss. You know, if you have so many theaters, you have to pay the lights, you have to pay your staff, you have to pay your concession bills. Um, but if you're not getting as enough people in the, in the seats to either buy concessions or to help make up, you know, ticket costs, um, you still have to pay all those costs of operating the building. You know, at, at some point, when if your per theater average total is just so low, um, it just makes more sense to close down. And, you know, that's what we'll like you to see. AMC's decision to limit screenings to either 50 individuals or half the capacity of a given auditorium, whichever is lower, is bound to affect the per theater average of whatever theaters do remain open. And, um, you know, now we may see maybe per theater might balance out with if some theaters remain open, but then the total number of theaters that things are opening in will be lower, thereby raising the per theater average, but I really don't expect it to be the case here. Um, we'll see more of this in our top five for this week as we do more analysis. So first up for our top five, we have Onward in its second week. Uh, it made $10.6 million for a 73% drop. It stayed in 4,310 theaters for 2,460 per theater average. Uh, total revenue is $60.3 million domestic. And about another $40 million or so international puts it at $101 million worldwide. So this kind of illustrates uh, what we're looking at, you know, um, you know, if the per top per theater average you get for a film is 2,400 and everything else is going to be less than that, um, or, you know, close to, or not much higher than that, um, it really doesn't make sense for you to keep films, you know, films, uh, theaters rely on having new films come in with higher per theater averages to replace the ones with low ones, you know, Onward already had a relatively low per theater average, and then on top of coronavirus limiting the amount of total demand for films out there in general, um, you can see why theaters chose to, you know, just rather go dark versus, uh, you know, keep keep the lights on for these films no one's going to go see. Um, same, I really did like 
uh, onward. We'll see if they end up getting to online renting or streaming uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, second up, we have the superhero film Bloodshot in its opening weekend for $9.2 million. Um, it had 2,861 theaters, so its per theater average was 3,208, a little bit higher than Onward. Um, you know, Onward did still have more theaters total, so even they've had a lower pre theater average, it still had more total revenue. But, you know, you can see Bloodshot being a new film did have a higher per theater average. Um, total revenue is 9.2 million domestic and uh, 50 million international. I'm not sure what countries this is coming from, but that's you know again this these kind of high action films uh, that Vin Diesel stars and tend to cater to an international audience. So totals for 24 million worldwide. Um, next up in third place, we have I Still Believe uh, in its opening weekend. This is a Christian movie romance, musical romance. Uh, 9.1 million dollars, so pretty close to Bloodshot. Uh, the total the Total theaters was 3,250 for 2,801 per theater average. Again, a little bit higher than onward, but you know, in you know, a, th- a three quarters of the total number of theaters, um, it even have per th- higher per theater average is going to end up coming a little bit below onward by just about a million or so. Uh, not a lot of international demand here, which kind of makes sense. These these uh, Christian films really play to the American evangelical crowd. Um, so the total worldwide is only 9.4 million. Next up, fourth place, The Invisible Man in its third week made $5.9 million, uh, 61% drop. Um, last week had a better drop, but, uh, you know, um, given everyone's concerns, uh, this, is, this is the 61% drop for Invisible Man. 3,636 theaters, which is actually an increase of 26 theaters, um, but the per theater average is 1,620. Um, and so, yeah, uh, another $58 million from International puts us at $122 million total. Um, yeah, Invisible Man has been doing great, especially with its relatively low budget, already making $122 million worldwide. That's definitely a win for Blumhouse. Um, and finally, we have The Hunt, which was delayed from last year after um, some concerns about being too close to the mass shootings um, last August. Um, it opened to $5.3 million um, in 3,028 theaters. Uh, per theater average is $17.52. This is really not great. Um less than a million dollars international which makes sense because it's kind of like a political satire of the american political system so you know that's only about six million dollars worldwide the budget on this ended up being you know in the mid-teens i think 18 million or so um which i think in any other week if it didn't have these low numbers you know if numbers were even twice as high as this were at you know 10 million dollars um 15 would have been a little bit nicer um yeah this is not gonna go very well but you know i guess that's kind of they figure they might as well release it um now when coronavirus is coming out versus um trying to delay it further um trying to tie the marketing was tied into friday the 13th so yeah uh unfortunately this one had a little bit of a high budget and and, and bad timing but um it is what it is uh, when it comes to coronavirus so looking at all the other notable films that, that came out this week, I think more than any film specifically, there's like a, a real big record that I guess, I don't know if you call it a record, but really all films, you know, looking at it that had been open for more than a week had over 65, 60% drop versus last week as people stay away from you. That's nearly, you never see that happen. Um, this is the t- lowest week for total boxes. If you add up the total revenue for all films that released this weekend, um, it's the lowest it's been for two decades. Um, the next lowest weekend I find is the weekend of September 15th through 17th in 2000 uh, when the box office total was 50 
$3.6 million, um, which is also what it made this weekend. For comparison, uh, this is the 11th week of the year, so 11th weekend of last year um, made $139 million. Um, so, you know, we're half uh, or less than half of what last week, last year made. Captain Marvel made $61 million all on its own. So, yeah, that's basically Captain Marvel by itself made more than the entire box office did this week uh, in its opening weekend. Um, the only other real thing of note I wanted to call out is that Sonic, uh, I've been watching this for a while, Sonic finally beat Detective Pikachu. Um, it came in at $145 million total revenue uh, for the year. So congrats to Sonic. It's officially um, the highest grossing uh, video game movie in the States. And it also crossed the uh, $300, uh, $300 million mark worldwide. It currently sits at $306 million. So props to Sonic for that. Um, other than that, you know, there were a couple of limited releases, but I'm not going to waste your time talking about them. Those only were, they were all less than 10K uh, for the years or for the weekend. Um, so I'm not going to really worry about them. Again, for per th- for um, for limited releases, I'm really looking at, you know, at least 10K, definitely, you know, closer to the 40K range. Um you know, as known as the top of the show, we don't really have any wide releases coming out for next week or the next couple of weeks. So time to go find the TV show on Netflix, even meaning to binge on. Um, as far as what I've been watching, so before coronavirus was able to shut down the New York movie theaters, I was able to catch Guy Ritchie's film, The Gentleman. Um, hopefully that it comes to streaming. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely uh, definitely enjoyed it. So go check that out if you can. Uh, I also did catch the Filipino zombie film, Block Z, by director Mikhail Red. I'm kind of a fan of his work. Um, I wouldn't call this his greatest film, uh, but definitely was, you know, coming out of the Philippines uh, cinema scene, this was, like I said, properly done a zombie movie if you know not completely original definitely well done and executed um in any case that wraps up this week's watch if you have any questions feedback or suggestions uh for box office concepts uh you can suit me an email at box office watch podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at bo watch podcast uh you can find us um on, on, on spotify itunes and google play as well uh, if you leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on Podchaser, that would be super helpful i'll include links in the show notes um, numbers used in the show come from the website thingnumbers.com or intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod and you can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io editing and production provided by Ninja Boy Media until next time this has been the Box Office Watch go watch some movies and also wash your hands and watch movies at home alright bye guys